Welcome to the Carolina Contractor Show with your host, General Contractor Donnie Blanchard. Brought to you by GAF, the world's largest roofing manufacturer. GAF, we protect what matters most. And Mid-Atlantic Roofing Supply, providing contractors, home builders, and many others with superior quality roofing products. Mid-Atlantic Roofing Supply. And yes, indeed, we're back. It's another edition of the Carolina Contractor Show. Welcome. My name is Eric Smith, world's most famous DJ, because I couldn't get world famous DJ on Twitter. And across from me, Donnie Blanchard, general contractor. How are you, sir? Doing wonderful. I'm warm and well-fed. And that's a perfect way to segue into today's topic, being warm. And well, the well-fed we can't take care of, but the warm we can help you with. Because when you have cold weather, you might notice things about your house going on. You might feel the cold air come through the, the doorway or maybe... Maybe you're noticing a draft and you can't figure out where it's coming from. And that's going to mean your heating bill is going to go up. And old man winter, he's brutal to us sometimes. So what we like to do is talk about your house. And today's subject, we're going to talk about this cold house of yours. But first, I want to direct you to the website, thecarolinacontractor.com. That's where you can get information about our show and the subjects we talk about. We also have all these shows in podcast form on the website. So if you have a question about a specific topic regarding your house, it doesn't have to be if you have a drafty house, maybe you are concerned about electrical issues or plumbing or your basement or your roof or things like that, insulation, HVAC. All of our shows are put up by category, so if you have a specific show or topic you want to learn about, you can just download that show and listen to it at your own convenience. On top of that, we've also got Ask the Contractor. As I said, Donnie is a general contractor, and if you have a question about your house, you click on that button, Ask the Contractor, and Donnie can answer the question for you. And you can follow us on social media. We've got links to the Facebook site, YouTube, Instagram, all those things. We'd like to stay connected. We love hearing back from you, so please do that. But again, today's show, we're going to talk about cold weather. We've we've had about a of it recently, very cold weather. So we're hoping not to get sued here, Donnie, but we're going to call this episode This Cold House, and I think we'll be okay. But again, trying to keep your house warm and have everything uh, work together and, and keep your utilities down is kind of a challenge, isn't it? I agree all the way. Yes, sir. And it's not just one thing. A lot of people try to remedy this with some sort of insulation upgrade or maybe window replacement, but uh, it's a combination of a lot of things that have to work together in your house just to achieve the efficiency that you want and uh, comfort. Everybody kind of forgets about comfort. They want low utilities, but you want to be comfortable as well. When we hear cold weather is coming on the way or a cold snap is coming on the way and they say, hey, it's going to get below freezing. It's going to be in the 20s or the teens, there's a few things we need to do before that weather arrives. And I'm thinking more starting at the outside of the house. We always hear when winter comes, unhook your hoses, don't keep them connected. You talk about hose bibs. Absolutely. Well, they sell the hose bib insulators at the big box stores. And uh, if you go ahead and get ahead of the cold snap, usually they're plentiful in terms of supply. But um, I went to get a couple for a neighbor's house because they were out of town when this last cold snap hit. And I think I got the last one in the store because I waited till the last minute. So those are good to have in place and they're reusable every year. They don't really wear out. So if you keep track of everything, you should have those year to year. But the main thing to know there is just to disconnect your hose first. Uh, A lot of these hose bib insulators require you to disconnect the hose anyway, but a lot of people just don't think about that. And that hose connected is holding that water that could potentially freeze and crack that fixture. And um, also another thing, I had this happen personally because we have a basement. When you turn that back on, if if you forgot to insulate it and you can't really tell if it's frozen or not, the very first time you turn that hose bib on and run water through there, it's good to go on the interior of the house where the hose bib comes out and just make sure that it's not draining inside. I flooded my basement office that way one year and thank God I went down to get something because we caught it before it did 
a lot of damage, but that hose bib had frozen and I just didn't know until I used it that spring. The other thing that's important, and if you live on well water, is to insulate your well pump. So usually you have a well house, maybe a concrete cover or something. It's worth it to be familiar with that and go out before. Um, one thing that it, you know it's compatible with any kind of really insulation because it's usually a dry area. So you can just buy a couple of cheap bat insulation pieces from the big box store and wrap those around it. Maybe you know use some duct tape or something like that. But another thing people do is you can run a drop cord out to your pump house if it's going to be really really cold, like it was. Uh, this year, you can hang one of those exterior light bulbs out there, and and that seems to just give uh, the right amount of heat to keep that from freezing up. Uh, if you don't want to do that or you don't have someone handy enough to take that well cover off, then you can always just leave your water dripping inside the house. That seems to be a popular approach, and, and uh, just leave a slight drip on there, and that keeps water moving from the well through those pipes and that movement of that water is just enough to keep it from freezing up. Now, another thing, Donnie, is we all have vents on the foundation of our house. And a lot of people don't realize that you're supposed to close those in the winter. Is it more important to close them before a freeze or should you just close them in the fall and open them back up in the spring? Yeah, you can close them in the fall and open them in the spring as a safe approach. And if you live somewhere a little further north where it's a bit colder, you know, I have seen people uh, take the rigid foam insulation and put that over just to give a, a slightly more R value and prevent any kind of heat transfer. If you're in your crawl space and you notice that there are pipes near those foundation vents, those are the ones that really need special attention because that's what could cause a problem. Close those foundation vents in a lot of cases, and especially if your vents are in bad shape and you want those replaced, they sell an automatic foundation vent now, and those will open and close uh, with the weather. So they're not very expensive, and uh, they work like they're supposed to and, and are very low maintenance. Since we're on the outside of the house, I want to touch on the gutters. People don't often look up and give special attention to the gutters during winter because that's just something that channels the water down and away from your house. But if your gutters are clogged with leaves uh, after the fall and you don't address that, you know, that it really uh, prohibits the function there. And if, if those leaves are there and they get water in there that can't escape and then that water freezes, it could cause a big problem. And then when everything drains, of course, it, it can't drain the water away from your house and um, everything from ice dams to extra weight in your gutters uh, and, and all that could be a problem in terms of uh, pulling your gutters away from the house and just keeping your gutters cleaned out or paying somebody to do that uh, is definitely worth the money. And not only that, Don, you got to maintain that thermostat because that's going to be the most important thing when it comes to keeping your house is the temperature you want, but making sure it's running correctly. And we're big proponents of smart thermostats. I know you have one that's more advanced than mine, right? I have one uh, that just works on Wi-Fi and I don't know how advanced it is. It's It's a little too smart because it has way too many options, but um, you know, the kids think it's cool because they come down and they check the weather for the day on it and it's, uh, it serves its purpose, but yeah, maintaining that thermostat is important for a lot of reasons, because if you have electric heat or a heat pump, rather that heat pump can only change the temperature by 20 degrees. So if you let it get down to 55 and you expect it to heat back up to 70, it's going to really struggle to do that. And it could take as much as a full day to get to that desired temperature. And here's one thing I'm not sure of, and you would definitely know, Donnie, is the water dripping, a little trickle coming out or a drip at night when you're going to have a really hard freeze. Is it really that effective for keeping your pipes from freezing up? It, it's worked for me. I've done that instead of insulating my well. Uh, I have a, a small bit of insulation around my well pump at, in the well house, but you know it's always worked and I've advised people to do it. I've never heard that it didn't or that it froze up while it was a trickle, but if it didn't work, I'll just comment on that and say that know where your water shutoff is. So there's always a place where your well usually a straight line into your house. Uh, it penetrates the foundation wall and somewhere in that area, 
the plumbers usually put a whole house shut off. And in most cases where we penetrate the foundation, we go up into the house into a closet or something and put a shut off there. And then, of course, the remainder of the water line goes back into the crawl space foundation and over to the water heater and the pressure tank and so forth. But yeah, knowing where your shut off is ahead of a big freeze could, could save a lot of money if you do have a pipe burst, in fact. And would those valves be near the water heater? Uh, usually, yes, sir. Usually the water heater and the um, and the pressure tank are grouped together in a mechanical room or in just a common area with enough headroom in a crawl space. And I guess in a pinch, if you've got the key for it, and especially in the suburban areas, urban areas, you can use a key. And if you know where the main water line connection is from the street, you can pull that cover off and, and turn that key. But you got to have, it's not a standard wrench. What's it called? I never remember. Church key. And they sell them at the big box store. So you could have one of those on too and know where it is at your street. I know where mine is. So in a emergency, any way you can shut off that water. And of course, as we say, insurance agents love it when you mitigate damage. Mm -hmm. And it's a big problem when you have a flood, when you have a broken pipe to get stuff repaired on that. All right. This is the Carolina Contractor Show. And we're talking about your cold house. And this time of year, you might notice it more. So let's Move in with HVAC, but before we get any specifics, Donnie, what about the fact that supplies for HVAC units are are hard to come by right now? Yeah, the last time we talked about this, it was getting really scary, and they were rationing some of the bigger contractors, and some of the larger contractors with deep pockets were actually buying up supplies and stocking those in a warehouse to make sure their show could go on, and that was in turn affecting the smaller folks. So we really we had a scare there, but I'm I'm pleased to say that. Uh, I've got the news that uh, all the supplies are much easier to get than they were a year ago, but it's still not to where it was pre-pandemic. Uh, that being said, sheet metal availability has never been in question, but it's still really pricey. So all all metal is up about 50%. So when you get that HVAC quote and maybe you got a quote two years ago and it's a lot more, these are the factors that's affecting that price. And you know it's affecting all industries with metal being up 50% seeing it in the roofing world. And I'm almost embarrassed to give a standing seam metal quote because the cost of the metal is what we could do the labor and materials for, you know, just three years ago. So uh, it is what it is if you're hell bent on that metal roof. But yeah, we're seeing that metal increase hit everybody. Okay. So equipment's harder to get. Some of the supplies are harder to get, Donnie, but there's some requirements coming that if you're going to get a new system in, you're going to have to change that altogether anyways, correct? Right. So the equipment is the one thing that's uh, there's a little bit more of a wait time than there was. And the reason is they changed to a 15 sear minimum for the HVAC systems. And it, last year it was a 14 sear minimum. When you really dive into the details, it's not a big deal between those systems. It's just that the energy code becomes more stringent every year. And they've been teasing this for a couple of years and they finally put it into effect. But there's other things, other alternatives that weren't around, it's like a ducted mini split. You hear of a ductless mini split. Uh, a ductless mini split is basically what you see in a hotel room. It's those wall mounted units. And of course, they provide heat and cool. Now, with a ducted mini split, you have the option to turn corners. That's the big thing about a ductless mini split is if you put it in a big room that has a lot of sub rooms, it can't really turn corners. So that was the drawback. And now uh, they've found a way to make the most efficient HVAC equipment compatible with, with any room in the house. And so it's a really efficient condenser unit and it has whisper quiet air handler. So it's 100% variable speed and it only gives you what you need. And that kind of goes back to the efficiency, uh, almost like hot water on demand. It only gives you what you need and it's much cheaper to run that way. So the SEER rating is through the roof on those. And, and I'm just really a big fan of those. The outside unit that supports these duct head mini splits, it's the Mitsubishi. It's a smaller condenser unit and it looks really space age. And so uh, my homeowners seem to 
to really like it, but we're putting those in everywhere that we can. And real quick, Donnie, explain SEER rating for everybody. It stands for Seasonal Energy Efficiency Rating. So it's one of those things that the code compliance folks make a big deal of, but uh, changing one point on the SEER rating is just not worth it, in my opinion. The the upgrade in the unit could be anywhere from 1000 to $1,500. And the big issue there is, does it contribute to your utilities? Do you get that back at the end of the year? And the answer is no. Um, talking to my HVAC guru, who I get a lot of information from, he basically said that the change in the minimum SEER isn't for the homeowner as much as it is for the impact on the power grid. So we talk about that a lot. And, you know, I know you have a lot to say about uh, the new demands on, on the current power grid. We we don't have time for that show right now. But, yeah, we have our opinions based on a lot of fact. But y- you do bring up an interesting point. With the last bad cold snap we had, uh, Duke Energy had some issues of being able to supply everybody with power. And you kind of found out that they're cutting back on temporary power for job sites now, Duke Energy. Is that correct? Yes, it is. And this is something that's going to really change my world as a builder because uh, they were they basically made me aware that they're no longer legally required to supply temporary power on my job sites. And we have things called a saw service, which is an electrical pole tied into a transformer that my workers can use uh, for power for saws, compressors, things like that. And right now, um, out of five job sites, I have uh, two with power. So I have a million dollar plus home that I'm building off of a generator. And uh, basically my contact at Duke Energy, who I've known for years and years, he told me, get used to it, Bubba. He said, it's going to be like this for years to come. And until we uh, overcome this transformer shortage, this is the way the building are going to have to get by. So, you know, myself, my subcontractors, we're going to have to be equipped with generators when we come to the job. And uh, I don't like to hear it, but it looks like this is going to be the new way. Ironic, I guess, is the word that to remove those power sources, you're going to have to bring in combustible engines, running gas and everything to build these <laughs> these houses and work at these construction sites. That's right. And we're also seeing more and more signs of this idea. Hey, let's switch to electric cars and electric everything as we've said before in past episodes, that is putting the cart before the horse, literally, because the power grid can't take it. And if you have a cold snap, we had one a few years ago in Texas. They had massive problems. We had one here and backup systems didn't work. Something wasn't working correctly as planned and it couldn't keep up with demand. And they were talking about rolling blackouts. So the the energy grid, the electric grid, it's coming. It's going to overload and it's got to be redone. Do you see that as a, a big problem also, Donnie, with the grid? Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a conspiracy theorist by any means, but I, what I'm seeing all the way around is, you know, this this collective effort that they're they're increasing the HVAC efficiency requirements and and that means they're taking less power for every house that gets a new system from here on out down to what I just mentioned with the transformer shortage. I, I've I've had some installers for Duke Energy say, hey man, well there's there's a yard there in Raleigh that's completely full of transformers and we have no idea why they're not shipping those out. And I'm not privy to that information by any means, but I will say that it just seems like there's a lot of um, a lot of things going on at the same time that are reducing the the amount of kilowatts pulled by by us and by you know the average homeowner. And and I don't know if that's their attempt to offset a future overload or if they're just trying to kill this thing by death by a thousand cuts. But it's you know there's something going on and they are trying to offset. I, I guess these promises made by net zero by 2050. You know they're, they're trying to do something over here and something over there and crossing their fingers that this all works in their favor. 
I will still put money that that's not going to happen. But we'll do the uh, Carolina Contractor Conspiracy Show about the electric grid in the future. But we're going to continue on with today's episode, which is talking about this cold house and things you can do to keep your house warm. Let's talk the difference between heat pumps and gas furnaces, Donnie. Right. Well, a heat pump is uh, the word for electric heat. And of course, a gas furnace is usually called a gas pack um, is what you have for the gas heat. And uh, I'm a fan of electric heat. The insulation has come so far these days that uh, the electric heat in, in our area, in our region, it seems to work just fine. Uh, when houses weren't so well insulated, of course, gas was a much better candidate. Uh, the one thing I'll say about electric heat that I mentioned earlier in the show is that uh, the electric heat can change the ambient temperature by 20 degrees. So in the summer, you go on vacation, you let your house heat up to 90 degrees, and then you want it to be at 70 when you get back. Well, good luck with that because it's going to take at least a full day for that system to cycle on and off and catch up to that called for temperature. It blows out 90 degree air. So the heat pump, the electric blows out 90 degree air out of the registers whereas the gas heat blows 120 degree air. So that's why gas can heat a house up much faster. Gas works much better on a house that's poorly insulated. So if you have an older home, you know, without spending the money on the retrofit to bring the insulation up to code, you might might as well just go with that gas system just to keep it comfortable. Um, where I said electric can change the ambient temperature by 20 degrees, gas can change as much as 30 degrees. So, and that's only on the heat. So uh, with the with a gas unit, it's still electric on the air condition when you get into the summer months. So I, I um, would say that if you can't make your mind up, the only other option you have is dual fuel. And so that uses gas. Basically, in the winter months, it uses gas to give it that quick punch for the heat. So, for instance, we've given this example before. A church sanctuary, you come in at 9 o'clock and you need that church sanctuary to be 70 degrees by 11 you know, it will kick on. It'll use the gas to blow that 120 degree air into the sanctuary. It'll heat it up much faster. And once it gets to the called for temperature, it'll switch over to electric just to maintain that temperature. And it seems to be much cheaper to run that way. All right. Here's one question, Donnie. We made the mother-in-law joke before, but seriously, if you have one room in your house that seems to always be cold, what can you do about that? So I always recommend uh, having your system serviced at least twice a year. So when it goes cold to hot and hot to cold, you need to pay the money to have an HVAC tech come in and check your system. You know, it's usually around $100, $125 for them to do that. And when they come in, you can explain to them that your system seems to be out of balance. And so usually if the system's improperly balanced, where that air handler is, is usually the room that's the coldest and the hottest in the house. The rooms furthest away from that air handler are the ones that need the adjustment in most cases. Uh, usually that's there there are already dampers installed on most systems, but if there's no damper installed, it's a pretty quick and easy thing for the HVAC tech to install those dampers and just ask them to balance your system. It's not complicated, not expensive, but it can sure contribute to the comfort. All right, Donnie, we were kind of making fun of the government just a minute ago and and maybe their inefficiencies and things like that. But the energy department, in your opinion, has a really good site on how you can save money and things you can do, correct? Absolutely. Uh, I think the website is energy.gov and that's the Department of Energy's website. And, um, you know, we're just kind of hitting the high spots today. But if you really want to get serious about how uh, you can conserve energy in your house and and things that we're talking about with HVAC systems, they just have a wealth of information there and you could really get lost on that website. But I definitely recommend uh, at least go in there once and clicking on whatever may interest you because there's a lot to read on there. Okay. So that kind of gets into the thing we've always said. The number one thing you can do is to keep your house, whether it's trying to keep it cool in the summer or warm 
in the winter is insulation, insulation, and insulation. So let's jump into that. Uh, are there any supply chain issues with those products like metal and stuff? So no, not really. Uh, the materials are available, but one thing I'm seeing is they're rationed. So I'm doing a conditioned crawl space uh, on a house and basically they were scheduled for this week. And I just got the word today that they just couldn't get the vapor barrier material in. And that's what goes on, you know, the basically the exposed dirt portion of the crawl space. And um, they could not get the appropriate vapor berry material in on time. So everything's late. And the other thing is insulation is more expensive. I hate to tell people, go insulate as much as you can, but the prices on insulation are really up right now. And um, it's if you don't have adequate insulation, it's not the ideal time to do it in terms of money. But I do think the payback is still there. And like I said, uh, or like you said, insulate, insulate, insulate. It's the best thing that contributes to you know, the longevity of your HVAC system, it really helps in terms of comfort in your house. And um, it's one of those things that actually has a payback with no degrade. So it doesn't break down. Insulation does not break down. And when you spend that money, it's there forever, not something you have to replace later. So as we like to say, the return on investment, the ROI is still good with that, even though the cost may have gone up with that. So Donnie, you've got a, an existing house. It's not a new build and you want to improve the insulation. There's some retrofitting. I'd assume it's not just as simple as blowing more insulation in the attic. There might be stuff you want to do in the walls and things. What are some of the things you need to consider when you retrofit an older house with insulation? Right. I'll start with what you said. In the attic, you can definitely blow more insulation over what's there. And the code now is an R38. I want to say that's around 14 inches of blown in insulation. And um, that's definitely an easier thing for them to do because most attics are accessible. You always want to make sure that they install baffles out around the overhangs because if, if they do not, that blown in insulation could either get blown back towards the center of the house or it could, if it, with the right wind pressure, it could spill out of that overhang uh, if, if it were to blow it that way. So definitely want to make sure the baffles are installed out around the edges of the roof. And uh, that blown in insulation is a, a good thing to do. Under the house, an R19 is the current code. So that's about a six inch piece of bat insulation. Always important to know that if it's faced, meaning it has the paper on it, the paper always goes towards the heated side. So the paper would go up in that situation. But if you can stick your head under your house, maybe throw a tape measure up there and see what you have. A lot of times this insulation is labeled if you can see it. Uh, but uh, an R19 is what you can do there. Those are the two easy ones. If you want to retrofit the walls, they have a system called drill and fill. And what they do is, uh, and hopefully you have vinyl siding or something where they take a piece of vinyl off and they go every 16 inches, they find the base and then they run a hose down in that bay and they fill it up with cellulose insulation. So that seems to work well if it's achievable with brick, but it's, it's really not ideal because they have to remove so many bricks and put those back and try to make those look like they match. So uh, drill and fill is, is one way to do that, but definitely not ideal with uh, masonry house. All right, Donnie, with a few minutes we have left and talk about how to insulate your house better, you've mentioned a couple different types of insulation. Are there any more or any other types that you, you prefer? Or maybe there are types of insulation depending on what you're insulating that you use. Right. Um, well, I, I made myself a small list here and I'll just read through this. Uh, fiberglass is what we mainly see and fiberglass is ma made from a molten glass and it's spun or blown into fibers. A lot of times, I'd say about 50% of the time, this is usually recycled material, which is a good thing. 
um, cellulose is the next thing you see, and it basically looks like uh, fake snow. So that's what I mentioned. You can blow into the attic or you can do in the drill and fill in the wall cavities, but this is made from recycled newspaper in most cases, and it's definitely the most common thing for a retrofit. Uh, people have the word rock wool in their minds because this is what they used to use before fiberglass and cellulose were readily available, but rock wool is still around. Uh, rock wool is man-made. It has, it has some natural minerals like base salt and diabase in there. Not that that means anything, but uh, it's used for sound control now more than it is insulation. So it's way more dense than the fiberglass or cellulose. And if you have a room in your house that you'd like to soundproof, that's a, a good way to do it. Spray foam. Wow. We could get into, uh, we'll just get into the details or the breakdown on spray foam, maybe on the next show. But I will say that sprayfoam.com has a ton of information. So not to refer you to the internet, but sprayfoam.com has a really nice breakdown. Uh, something that I've used a lot is radiant barrier. So that's when you go into an attic and the attic looks like a spaceship. It's a, uh, because it's been lined with radiant barrier, it's a shiny reflective material and it has a, a like a fiber woven into the material for strength. So if you can imagine a heavy duty tinfoil, it would be a heavy duty tinfoil times 10. And so it comes in a three foot roll. It's totally something you can do to retrofit your attic, but it really, really works like it's supposed to primarily in the summer months. It's not as much of an insulator as it is a heat transfer preventative. And I say that because it goes on the bottom side of the rafters. And when your roof, your shingles, the wood under the shingles absorb that heat, it eventually transfers into the attic. What that radiant barrier does is it traps that heat in the rafter cavity. And if you have the proper ventilation in your soffit vents and the proper ridge vent, it will tra- it will channel that heat right up through the ridge vent and it'll change the temperature in your attic by as much as 15 to 20 degrees. It's a really big deal. Um, and the last thing to round out my list is vapor barrier. We uh, we I would say that the vapor barrier is probably more important for indoor air quality and humidity control than it is an insulator, but it definitely is an insulator and it keeps the, uh, keeps the moisture uh, in the ground where it's supposed to be and, and really does what it's supposed to in terms of uh, the function of a house. All right. We thank you for joining today's edition of the Carolina Contractor Show. And as you heard Donnie say, we'll be talking about the subject, drafty houses and cold houses again, because this time of year, it goes on and on. And even though we think of spring being technically it's March and in April, it doesn't start warming up till May. So there'll be plenty of things you can do between now and then to help your house not be so cold and not be so drafty. Again, hit the website, thecarolinacontractor.com. You can get all the information on this show and upcoming shows and uh, some big shows we got on the way with some very big guests. So be sure to stay tuned and, and keep checking our social media and we'll keep you updated on that. And we thank you for joining us and we hope to see you and hear you again next week on the Carolina Contractor Show. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Carolina Contractor Show. Learn more at thecarolinacontractor.com. Brought to you by GAF. We protect what matters most and mid-atlantic roofing supply providing contractors home builders and more with superior quality roofing products hey it's eric smith co-host of the carolina contractor show for sure top roofing a brand new roof is even more affordable than ever sure top roofing your local gaf master elite certified roofer now offers financing plans for as low as 85 dollars a month that's probably less than your internet or cell phone bill with approved credit you can finance that brand new roof for 10 years at 9.9 percent and that includes warranties for up to 50 years. But this offer is only available from SureTop Roofing. So schedule your free estimate at SureTopRoofing.com. That's SureTopRoofing.com.